You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. So welcome to another edition of Payments Innovation. I'm your host, uh, Rich Arundel from Currency Cloud, and I'm delighted to um, have on a a celebrity in the world of compliance and um, and, and reg tech in Charlie Dellingpole from Comply Advantage. So Charlie, great to have you. I'm delighted to be here with you, Richard, and to meet an even greater celebrity in yourself. <laughs> well, listen, this isn't about me as much as much as I'd like it to be. So why don't we talk about, about you first of all and, and then dig into kind of Comply Advantage for those who I guess have had their, their head in the sand and don't know about um, about Charlie Comply Advantage. Talk a little bit about your background. Serial entrepreneur started, I think, when you were 16, building out kind of student room, and, and it's just gone from strength to strength. Exactly, yeah. So, Comply Advantage, we are a company that's attempting to tackle the risks of money laundering and terrorist financing. So, as Richard and any other successful fintech entrepreneur will know the chief key risk that you face when starting any fintech that you don't realize is the risk of money laundering and terrorist financing. So when I started market finance um, in this room back in 2009, you think you're kind of going into lending money or making payments or managing insurance risk, whatever the kind of key challenge of the fintech you're starting is. But then soon you realize that someone has to be the designated money laundering reporting officer, which means that if you mess something up, you go to jail, right? So, and I guess I always wanted to go do things properly. And um, I didn't like the fact that this really important high risk thing was somehow secondary to growing revenue or growing the business and therefore um, my advantage was really an opportunity to take on and address the risk. And I think Commodity was started back in 20, 2014. And I think part of the rationale was that lots of advanced technologies like AI or the cloud hadn't necessarily been applied with the full force that they could have been applied to this particular area. So that was really the project. I think we, we first met years ago, and I think this was probably when you were doing a bit of research into the business. And I, th- I think this is in the early days of Currency Cloud even. Um, and it struck me then, um, I guess, how driven you were to go and tackle this problem. What was really interesting is I listened to a podcast that you were on recently where you, where you were asked about, you know, what would, advice would you give a, a younger Charlie when you were starting up? And you said, you know, I probably would have built something easier. But you're... You know, you've you said that you've one of your goals in life is to build something really big, and I think what you have here in in Comply Advantage is you know, you, as you said, every great behind every great fintech is the is the ability to manage risk, and that's what you're helping people do. So surely you're in in the right place now, um, especially at the right time, because it seems like and you guys have been extremely successful, but it's just getting started. So this is the opportunity to build something really, really interesting and really, really big. So I think part of what's interesting about money laundering is, or, or, or risk more generally, is that it, it, it is, as you say, um, so pervasive and so, so global um, in terms of it's every industry, it's every geography, it's every subsector 
and there are many different forms of risk. So there's money laundering for payments, there's claims and fraud management for insurance, there's credit risk for lending, and the central unifying theme is you have these 7 billion people and how many billion companies, and they're all connected by shareholdings and directorship, which is respectively the ownership and control day-to-day of those entities. And so I think the kind of big thing we're trying to build, and I think the area of technology we haven't, that hasn't really been like, pursued with as much like, gusto is... I think more the semantic reasoning around the kind of graph-based entity analysis, right? So I think like everyone's heard of machine learning, but I think the semantic reasoning dimension of things in terms of once you've got all, the, all these entities connected together, then you can infer, infer behaviors and patterns and use facts, right? So I think, I think um, we've got some launches coming up, like we're investing extremely heavily in the product. So I think in many respects, what we have now is nothing compared to what we'll have in a few months' time. So I think, um, do I believe that what we have now is a very small fraction of what will be there in the future? I think, yeah, absolutely. So when you started, it was, it was called Market Finance, now Market Invoice, is that correct? The inverse. is The inverse. True. Okay, so you've changed. But so you started that, and that was before, I guess, FinTech was a word and before kind of LendTech was a word. You've then set up um, Comply Advantage before... I guess reg tech was really a word and compliance then was, I guess, something you had to do and was seen as a bit of a drain on resource and it was a pop-ticking exercise. But you're kind of making compliance sexy. And, yeah. you know, so, so now compliance are now kind of top of the invite list for parties. And it's, it's seen within businesses and certainly within, I guess, our circles in fintech as, as a huge business driver and business enabler. So maybe let's talk about the last few years and, and, and certainly the last year and, um, and we'll come on to that kind of pandemic field digitalization. But what's the kind of state of play in, in, in reg tech in kind of 2021, how far it's come over the last few years? So I think, as you point out, it was kind of relatively obscure back um, even a few years ago. But I think, I think the, same, same, the same wave of like innovation that has washed over finance and seen great levels of productivity and output is now also washing over the same linked compliance and back office functions. Um, and I think also it kind of required this new wave of innovation and technology in, in, in fintech to then facilitate regtech in terms of previously, like if you look at banking, say in the UK in 2009, you had a highly consolidated sector comprised of like five, six major retail banks. Now you have this kind of Cambrian explosion of new companies. Um, you have the licensing regime, you have open banking, um, and that's, that, that's given rise to hundreds of companies, each of which recognize that compliance is a key competitive advantage, both from an existential perspective in terms of if you get it wrong, you'll be shut down, but also in terms of faster onboarding and lower costs. So I think um, the two are inextricably linked. And I think, yeah, I think we'll come on to, to more of that later on. I'm going to touch on some kind of embedded finance examples. But um, let's talk about, I guess, the last 12 months. And in every podcast, everybody does at the moment. They're asked about the, about the pandemic, about COVID. But what you've seen is this kind of, as I said, pandemic-fueled digitalization of, of 
the world and that's created some huge opportunities, um, especially for kind of newer digital businesses, huge injections of capital into the global financial system. But that's obviously also created huge opportunities for, for crime, for the bad people. Um, and and Comply Advantage have just released uh, you know, a really in-depth kind of paper, your State of Financial Crime Report 2021. But let's talk about you know, what's happened and the impact on financial crime for, for, for now, and, but also what it means you know, kind of going forward. Yeah, so I think the past 12 months and the next 12 months are really interesting times in terms of financial crime. I think the most obvious dimension of that is in terms of the state support for the economy in that you've seen maybe 15, 20% of um, the state balance sheet dispersed immediately to people all over the world. Um, You've got this act passed yesterday by Biden giving everyone roughly $2,000 of stimulus payments. You had all kinds of schemes globally. Um, And I think the interesting dimension in terms of natural crime was that lots of the fintechs probably had 40 times higher fraud rates than traditional community banks, which had long-standing, much slower onboarding procedures. So I think there's been a huge investment in trying to prevent those waves of fraud from absorbing most of the capital that's been dispersed by the state. Um, I think secondly, in terms of anomaly detection, um, to have a baseline of behavior and then detect variances against that. Um, what you've seen, obviously, is that baseline shift radically, and therefore we don't know what normal is. Um, and that's been a, a huge challenge. I think, thirdly, you've seen huge changes in terms of the legislation. Um, so you had the AML Act 2020 um, pass in December last year, which is the biggest change in, 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 in 30 years for US money laundering. And then Equally, you had AML D5 in Europe, D6, um, changes with MAS in Singapore. So I think globally, it's been a really great time to be in this area. And I think that brings us nicely on to, I guess, the challenge, you know, or one of the many challenges in, the, in this space is, you know, the globalization of fintechs in general. And the... You know, as people grow, as you said, you've mentioned three jurisdictions with changes in um, our policy. So for, for you guys with such global ambitions, and you, know, you, you, you're, at, you're in headquartered in the UK, you have offices in uh, New York. Are you, are you in APAC region as well? Yes, yeah, Singapore, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I know at the moment, obviously, you, you would spend your life traveling around all those areas and meeting people and understanding stuff, and now you're kind of doing that virtually. But So it's a challenge, in, I guess, in, in general to the experts. But how do, how do fintechs kind of navigate this in their risk approach? If they want to go global and serve a global audience, they've got, they've got to kind of understand and, and think about, you know, the, the, the change in, 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 in policies, et cetera, across multiple jurisdictions. That surely is like super complex to do. Exactly. I think, I think, um, I think currency held obviously global as well. And you've done the state-by-state licensing in the US. You've had licensing in California and New York. Um, offices in APAC, Brexit, passporting, all these issues. So I think, I think simply from a licensing perspective, it gets more complex as you get more global. And then in terms of the integrations with different banking systems, payment, all different payment mechanisms, um, and then also in terms of complying with local legislation around money laundering, um, different fraud typologies. I think, yeah, I think 
I think operating um, at global scale is a huge challenge. And I think I think what we've seen is because lots of the early movers came out of the UK and then internationalized is they have the scale um, to be able to, to fund that. But then with things like Brexit, you've seen interchange change radically and therefore lots of fintechs won't necessarily want to launch um, in, 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 in Europe because interchange is kind of 10 basis points, whereas you might get 1% under the Durban exemption in the US. So I think, I think really understanding these things um, is critical towards like any viable business plan. And, and then talk about viable business plans. I, I, I think historically there's been a process of as people grow, the investment and the resource and human capital grows in, in a compliance function. But surely that can't continue to happen. Surely the, the, the way to grow and scale is to have kind of robust automated processes that can scale not only with, with, with your own business, but also the growth of digital innovation. Exactly. So I, I think there are kind of three dimensions of cost um, that you want to be um, subject to operating leverage. So as you scale, um, you want onboarding times to decrease, not increase. Um, secondly, you don't want to have more and more people who are checking things. Um, and you don't want to have a kind of 700-person compliance team. And then also you want your risk to decrease as complexity increases, as you see more data. So I think, I think um, if you look at many fintechs, often their, their biggest team by far is the compliance team, let alone the compliance technology team. So I think really a kind of mastery of this is, is really important. And I think it's important to get it right because often when um, a fintech launches, they might, they might want to go with a kind of a provider that aggregates all those functions in one, whereas actually what you want is a kind of point solution for each, which is best in class. So um, I think as they scale, fintechs have different challenges and need to have the right partners. Yeah, and listen, um, we're, we're, a, we're a client of Comply Advantage and I think what you guys are doing is, is awesome. And you know, we certainly see compliance as a as a strategic asset actually and you know one of our strategic anchors as a business is to be a trusted player not just to our um our our, our customers but if you think about a business or something like ours like i look at it like we're we're kind of regulated by three people we're regulated by the regulators we're regulated by the banks not in in the same way but in terms of that and but we're also regulated by i guess our customers and we have an obligation to the industry um, to keep their money safe. And I think we, we use that as, a, as an advantage and therefore you know, there's a huge amount of investment certainly from us and a number of people we know in this space, which is why I said you know, the earlier, it, it is, it's a lot sexier now, the things you can do with, with compliance and the things and, and what it allows you to do and the avenues and, and the segments that allows you to go and attack. Yeah, I, think, I, I think the barriers to entry now are, are kind of huge. I think you've seen in the past like three months, you've seen the green sill insolvency and you've seen the wirecard insolvency and i think that just shows that if you don't get these things right then it is existential and therefore having a trusted reliable partner like currency cloud which you know is well run well managed has great compliance is is really critical so i think not investing in these areas will ultimately lead to your downfall and you have these these terrible situations whereby small German um, operas or waste disposal units today have lost $100 million in, in, in the green soil insolvency. So I think, um, I think knowing your money is safe is very, very important. Yeah. Um, I, I want to come on to, I guess, areas of opportunity and, and areas that 
you know we see kind of fintech moving into but i also wanted to touch on on your recent your recent report and i know end of last year you spent a lot of time um, kind of surveying um, hundreds of companies um, across kind of all areas in terms of banking fintech insurance etc um what are the things that kind of came out of that that were either that you think were important but also was there anything surprising in that in terms of what's on people's mind at the moment what are they thinking about where do they see the investments that they, they want to make over the next kind of year or so um, I think a key thing is that people recognize that there's huge gains to be had from investing in technology. I think, I think, um, I think 10 years ago, you didn't have places like Google, Amazon, Facebook on the same scale they are now. And that, that same technology is now being applied to this area. So I think, I, I think what's, what's exciting about this year, I think is lots of companies are looking to upgrade their systems. I think the whole, the whole, baseline of technology and compliance has has taken a step change. So I think I think really given that lots of fintechs had exceptional years in 2020, um, they're now looking to upgrade, invest, and improve. So it takes me on to, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about kind of the, the buzzword at the moment of embedded finance. Um, and it's something that I talk a lot about on these podcasts. Um, and this is and, and the area of embedded finance especially is is the kind of non-financial companies who are looking to embed kind of financial services into their offering and, and bring it to their customers. So as I guess fintech permeates more and more businesses, and you know, you've heard lots of people say you know, every company wants to be a fintech will become a fintech in the future. But the non-financial ones in particular who aren't necessarily in the flow of funds, maybe haven't invested in in kind of compliance and monitoring as because that's that they haven't had to, I guess. As they start to offer these financial services, um, how do they view or how should they be viewing risk? And how do they can control that themselves? Or is this all around partnerships? Um, so I think what I've seen personally is, for instance, we have a um, very large brewing company that's offering, offering um, its merchants in South America um, via a partnership different credit cards so they can get paid on that. Or they've seen, or, or, or we have clients who are offering um, 10 different fintechs, um, other services via APIs. And so, and so I, I, I think the broader trend is you have kind of two distinct layers. You have a kind of front end where you already have a customer which is available to, to the end client. So you have someone like Shopify or you have a large consumer brand which has a huge user base. And then what you've seen is um, specialized point solution APIs, which um, facilitates the provision of a service, which is quite complicated in a very simple way. And so in a sense, the consumer brand acts as an aggregator and it's very simple for them to offer the full, they're going to full suite of banking services that we would offer by HVC entirely at the point of need. And the key challenge for lots of fintechs, at least particularly in lending, is the kind of CAC LTV in terms of the cost to acquire each user relative to the value of that user. Yeah. And if you already have that user, then it's super easy. So embedded finance makes tremendous sense in this year. And so where does that responsibility for tackling financial crime live? Because if, if you are, and let's talk about, I guess, lending. Let's talk about a, a lend tech who, who may be, depending on which jurisdiction you, you're regulated for, the lending activity. But if you're embedding a, a payments process, for example, now that process may, the, the, the delivery of that service may well be provided by a regulated payments partner um, who has their obligations to the regulator. 
but surely the, the the responsibility lies on everybody in that chain to understand you know, who your customers are and the flow of information and what's go, what's going on, even if it's you're not necessarily regulated for that specific activity. Precisely, I, I think the important principle is that you can't outsource your own responsibilities in terms of in a corresponding banking chain whereby the payment is relayed between like six different corresponding banks to the end user. Each 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 link in that chain is. Um, obliged and liable for those payments. So I think in the Danske Bank scandal, what you saw was they had given an account to a third party who was then allowed to control precisely where where those payments went. Um, I think historically what you've seen is this kind of pathway whereby you might start with like an open banking PISP license and they don't have any regulatory obligations because they're using two bank accounts, which are already fully um, better and controlled by banks. Then they might get their own authorized payment institution license and then a small payment institution license. And then they might become an e-money institution and then they might become a bank. So I think there's this kind of hierarchy that they move up, starting with open banking, and then the apex of that is becoming a bank. And with each incremental step, they have higher regulatory obligations. And that partly reflects the size and scale of the flows. So obviously, a authorized payment institution has to be authorized, whereas a small payment institution just is simply registered. But the actual threshold for um, becoming one is, is smaller. So I think that's been institutionalized in this FCA sandbox, which is widely copied. So if it's tiny, fine. The, the obligations are quite small. But as you become bigger, regulations sim- simultaneously step up as well. And I guess that's that's a view in in I guess the the UK side of things in the US is very interesting. It's an interesting kind of regulatory landscape over there, where what we're seeing is you know, the the entry point for a lot of people is to not necessarily go after your own license because it's painful. We've been through this, and you know, especially state by state. So you have these kind of banks who are sponsoring a number of fintechs, and I guess outsourcing some of that responsibility. Um, so I think that's quite an interesting landscape. You see many differences between kind of the US approach and I guess UK Europe. So I think the, the, the kind of um, sponsor bank model you have in, in, in the US is, I think, being a critical but like enabler of, of fintech in the US. I think the, the trend now is, I think there's been a battle between the New York Department of Financial Services and, um, and the OCC in terms of offering a kind of US-wide OCC charter. But I think, I think you've seen a number of banks or fintechs, which have bought sponsor banks or attempts to buy OCC licenses. So I think, and that's kind of mirrored in, in the EU, whereby you can have passporting across all 27 countries. So I think, I think over time, it looks like um, you'll see more and more kind of federal charters as companies want to go across the whole of the US. But I think, I think working with a partner like Currency Cab is far easier and better than attempting to get your own license yeah and we, we've lived through it. it it's it's a long and, and painful process and you know even in even in kind of covid times some of the the states are asking for kind of physical presence with, with fingerprints which I, I found is quite interesting yeah um but that, that's the us and, and it, i think it's a really interesting market and, and you're right i think that there's been a, a huge wave of deals being done with with sponsor banks and fintechs, and that's kind of really opened up over the last few years, which is which is great. Because I think I think as a yeah as as an economy, it needs that injection of innovation in, in certainly in the payment space. 
Um, and I think what's happened over the last 12 months out there is it's given people a bit of a kick to understand that, you know, going into your branch to make a payment is not the best thing to do, but we have to kind of support the whole infrastructure and, and uh, underpin it with, you know, a view on how we manage our risk and, and AML obligations. Um, let's look to the future a little bit. Now, I, I was listening to, to some of your comments and you were saying, in the current environment, we have a relatively, which is interesting, we have a relatively kind of relaxed view and a relatively pretty casual view on, on our approach to risk. But, you know, starting now, really, there's more and more technology coming out every day that's going to enable us to, to monitor behavior a lot better, a lot faster. So, and your view was that will naturally mean that regulation is going to become tougher because if you have more tools at your disposal, it's easier to do, then we should do it. So let just explain that view in, in terms of because um, I think that's interesting for, for listeners to, to kind of understand, um, especially if they're thinking about starting a business, right? Because if they're thinking about starting a business, then compliance, especially in this world um, and this industry, compliance needs to be at the top of the list and, and not just a substandard view of something you have to do. You have to take this seriously. Yeah, so um, the core principle is regulation is where it is because of technology where it is. As in, it would be unreasonable for people to eliminate completely certain risks because that would be far too expensive. But I think, um, for instance, adverse media. Um, if you look at, say, um, the obligations on most, on, on, on most payment companies is often simply screen against 7,000 names on the US OFAC list. But actually, that means you've got, I mean, so in, in our database, we have, I think, 15 million high-risk entities. That, that, that includes taxonomy of environmental crime, violent crime, um, sex trafficking, um, drug dealing, hacking. You know, so, so fundamentally, if you're only screening against 7,000 names rather than 15 million, then you're, you're facilitating payment and um, potentially funding some very unsavory characters. And as and when that comes out in the press and they're arrested or put in jail, then it would mean that XYZ payment company facilitated a terrorist attack or, and that's never um, a very good thing to have. It's in the hard press. to come back from. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, so I think what we're trying to do is make the system so intelligent and advanced such that it is seamless and costless and therefore the regulatory threshold shifts and therefore you can go far towards eliminating financial crime um, or the facilitation of predicate offences which constitutes the, the, the precursors to financial crime. And I think this, this actually ties really nicely to, um, I guess, you and how you've set up the business, how you continue to drive the business, because it's not good enough to be good. You need to be. You need to be great. At, you need to be the best at this. And I think you know. And if is that right? That that's kind of your your mission as a company, right? We want to be the best. So do what we um, do. the reason to start the company was that you had these billion dollar fines. You had crime running rampant, and the systems um, had a huge number of missed names, or they're ineffective, and you had huge teams. So the problem is really the the, the goal is really to solve that and. There was a very clear roadmap in terms of the technology to achieve that, and I think um, you know we we now spend twenty million dollars a year on tech, data, 
Um, and we've made some really big hires recently in terms of amazing expertise around the space and to build a system that can constantly evolve and improve and also has the scale of, you know, we have thousands of clients and many companies reselling the data and therefore we want to be the global on the present standard for risk data. And um, we can only do that because we have that scale. And I think in terms of the accuracy and breadth, depth, the, 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 the connectivity, the speed of the data, that's like constantly improving because it's driven by algorithms. Um, and so we think that if the data constantly improves at a certain rate, eventually you reach perfection. Um, and therefore you can eliminate the risks and costs for the entire fintech and banking sector. Which is huge, right? Which is massive, which is the ultimate goal, which you know, I think every fintech will um will thank you for. And they should thank you for, because as I said, you know, behind we've said this before, and I, I love the phrase, but you know, behind to be great at fintech, you need to be great at risk. And certainly in our space, currently we have that sort of around kind of payments, which is where there's a huge amount of kind of risk and, and fraud. So listen, just quickly for for, for you guys. Obviously, busy last year. I think you raised some money, what, last summer? You said you're, you're out in, in, in the US and building out there. You're out in, in the APAC region. What's kind of next? What, what does 21 hold? Because um, you're, you're not slowing down. So, so what, what have you got your eyes on over the next kind of year? We should have, like, a huge backlog of big product releases coming in the next few months, which should be very exciting. And that would represent a kind of a key step change. Um, and so hopefully we'll have that live in the next few months. And I think, so I think the products will evolve hugely and greatly extend. And I think last year we put in place um, a whole new team. So I think, I think it's the kind of scale, sophistication and breadth and depth of the product and also the team around the product is, is really coming on. And yeah, I, I I think all the clients should constantly see those huge upgrades for free on the platform. So really it's kind of accelerating towards that vision of like riskless, frictionless, um, low cost um, risk management. And you're up to almost 300 people now, I think. Across, exactly. Yeah. Across the offices. Um, and you continue to, to, to hire new teams and, and put people in place. Um, over the last 12 months, when everybody's been kind of stuck in their, their homes, um, how have you found the hiring process, but also, I guess, that onboarding process and creating that culture? Because I've, I've worked with, with some people who've worked with you, and I think what's, what's been um, impressive is just their drive and their drive for, um, for achievement, for perfection. So how, how do you kind of manage that as someone kind of sitting at the top of this empire? Um, how do you kind of manage... To, to keep everybody in a remote world kind of focused on what you guys are doing in the big vision? So I think, I think in terms of the articulation and, I mean, so I think one really good person on this is like Frank Slootman, who's the CEO of Snowflake, which IPO'd for, you know, and he, he's built kind of three decades. And I think in, in his book talks about how kind of, you know, every company has values, but I think really, I think it's kind of every situation you encounter every choice you make is an opportunity to to really um like frame action and behavior against those values um and so they have to be constantly repeated and reiterated and and and, 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 and kind of divergent paths have to be framed in terms of 
reinforcing those values. So I think for me, it's kind of embedding those in the hiring process in terms of do people exhibit those values when you're rewarding people? Are they rewarded against those values? Um, when you're discussing um, situations and choices, again, are they in terms of those values? And I think for us, like, I think constant improvement, um, going the extra mile, ambition, like, I think what we're building isn't, isn't like mining coal, it's kind of complex software and data. And therefore, um, it requires close collaboration and intelligence and decision making. So it's kind of, and also, I think like great software is it's kind of made by great engineers. And therefore, what we try to do this year is kind of definitely up the skill level in terms of, I think in terms of the average salary would have increased like a great amount in the past the past year as we tried to get many more senior engineers and staff engineers and distinguished engineers who who can kind of see around corners and understand. Like, I mean, I think I think part of it is like it isn't lines of code. It's kind of people who can see see precisely which code needs to be altered and then therefore it can be done a lot faster. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think actually delivering it is, is the real battle. And I think it's, it's such an interesting space. I think that one of the challenges, obviously, in this space is as, as you hire you know, more senior um, kind of people and as, as you get smarter, so do the criminals. So this is this, it's not going to stop anytime soon. But it's it's um, it's such an interesting space. Listen, we've we've wanted you on the show for a long time, so so thank you so much for coming in. Love the space, as you said. As, as said, yeah, yeah, I think compliance has transformed, and, and you guys have been at the heart of that. And it's transformed. It's behind every you know behind every um, fintech is is going to be compliance advantage right in the future. And uh, I congratulate you on what you built, what the team's built, um, and I think th- this this industry that we're in is just exploding right now. So to stay ahead, and as I said, you know, to the obligation that we all have to the industry to keep people's money safe and out of the hands of, of the bad guys is the number one priority. Any last thoughts or words from you? I think really well said, um, Richard. Um, yeah, I think like, you know, everyone's seen Jack Ryan's shadow agent where he's the kind of CIA <laughs> officer and he's preventing financial crime. But yeah, I, I think the people who do work in risk and compliance are, 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 are kind of actually superheroes um who are preventing financial crime and i think i think um you've seen the amazing growth of currency cloud um and i think similarly super important part of the global infrastructure for payments and it's been great to work with um you and the company in the past few years and um yeah i, I think as you say super is a, 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 a kind of super exciting space tons of potential and definitely primed for all kinds of step changes in evolution in the next few months so Charlie Dellingpole is the Jack Ryan of compliance and reg tech. Is that, is that how you're positioning yourself now? Um, I say Tanya. Is a Jack Ryan show, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'm just trying to give her the right tools to, to be able to make her choices. So you're the M behind her, James Bond. I'm M's like person in the cupboard making all the tools. <laughs> well, listen, really important tools. Um, Charlie, awesome having you on. Thank you so much, and um, can't wait until we're we're allowed to kind of meet up again and have a beer and uh, catch up. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. 
Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.